You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we've got a movie today that you wrote a book report on. Uh, I'm sure, you know, has has been seen on many a TCM countdown and, and other things. You probably uh, fell asleep to it, too. <laughs> and so we, we're, we're going to get into it. This is a class. This is perhaps the original recipe white savior film like this is the one that like i think it didn't no, it wasn't the first no in the genre herb, no spices. <laughs> it wasn't the first of the genre but i think it definitely is the like standard bearer since yes. it came out and like what a lot of these movies aspire to be um <laughs> and we have uh, a great guest to talk to today that we're very excited mm. to talk to you as a comedian he's a writer he's worked at places like conan um working on the onion and is doing some shows now i don't know if you are you on tour skylar or are you just local in the area i am no i i am uh you know i'm around i go on tour i'll be in milwaukee this weekend salt lake city end of the month nice uh this is skylar higley skylar how's it going good how how you doing we're doing good good. i was on very much cp time this well, time around ct so. time and and cp time it's like they, <laughs> they, they correlate uh <laughs> uh but Cameron, I, knew, I knew you had a question so well i was uh I, you know you're stand up i'm a stand up or I, I did do uh stand-up comedy i do more sketch these days but uh as comedians you know and as actors you know you sometimes in order to digest a dramatic film or you know, dramatic material in any facet in order to like tell jokes about it. You have to be more akin to it uh, than regular people. Would you, would you say? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think you have to um, at least be a little bit more aware of what's happening and self-aware and instead of only sort of like reacting to the circumstance emotionally and not knowing anything about it i feel like you have to both like feel it and know it at the same time if you're gonna digest it to be material right if you're gonna comment on it right yeah i think i think you and i also think this is also why you know um the history of comedy in america is defined so much by black people and also jewish people because there is the this like very specific otherization and uh sort of communication that we need to do sort of cross-culturally and for ourselves that Mm. in order to get ourselves out of you know oppression so i think as uh negroes we're uniquely suited to be (laughs) comedians just based on what we went through gotta laugh to keep from crying you know what i'm saying (laughs) that said did you find this movie hilarious there were parts of it that i thought were very funny that they were not trying to make funny that is true (laughs) that is very true well uh tell us and tell the people why you selected the movie you selected um it's just one of those i think it's because it is so 
so emblematic of the white savior narrative and because it is like truly the the OG of it. So, you know, having read things in, in read it in school and having it seemed like a whole three months dedicated to like <laughs> to kill it's to kill a mockingbird and we are all learning very a lot about things by reading this and watching this and we're gonna read it out loud with all these white students and sometimes <laughs> say the n-word because it's in a book that's no. the question because <laughs> in reading it like there's there's moments i feel like in school as a black person when you're going to school maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a predominantly white school but i mean let's even say that you're in a school but you're in like some of the more advanced placement classes right and so like you are the black kid in this class when you learn about slavery for the first time right because they're like okay kids so here's the deal <laughs> jamal here <laughs> his people came here on a boat and then they were owned for like 400 years and so this is information that you're all learning collectively mm-hmm. and now everybody turns to you and they're like oh and you're like Oh, oh shit! Oh, like they go. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes it's that, and it's also very much like this. Just like, like I, I also think that there is also maybe an ignorance to it where they like don't want to even say anything, and then right. there's like one kid that goes out of his way that's like, "Yo, like, are you okay? <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> Well, because then it's like, then the, then when you learn about civil rights, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, so like, uh, let's watch this video clip of like people getting hosed down and bitten by dogs. And like, yeah. here's uh, <laughs> like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. Oh, so he got shot because he wanted you. <laughs> yeah. You're just there's, like, what the fuck? There's the, um, uh, there's that great meme of like, uh, and if you're not familiar with this, I don't know how much of a cold fan you are. Skyler, <laughs> I'm coming for you now. Uh, but there's um, the famous Simpsons episode where Bart gets famous and he uh, has a has like a catchphrase that he does a lot. And there's yep. that famous meme of like the classroom looking back at him, waiting for him to say the catchphrase. Right. Is is that the feeling? Is that uh, the feeling? Is the catchphrase there? <laughs> well i think it depends on where you went to school because there you go where i went to school uh i grew up in salt lake city utah which oh my god (laughs) yeah 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 no yeah yeah so i'm sorry (laughs) so you know it was it was a different um it was a different vibe they thought you was a motherfucking alien they thought you landed from another planet all together <laughs> this just reminded me when i was a kid i remember um there was like a lot i would get a lot of times a lot of people would ask me when i got here from africa oh like, a my lot. god a lot of times they was like oh so you're you're african i'm like i, I mean i was born in philadelphia and they're like oh that's in Africa, right? I was like, no. just, just like the, the the way that like once they have to comprehend all this, just like general knowledge just slips out of their ear. Just like, yeah. So you guys from Africa, right? No, I'm from Philly. It's like Philly, Cape Town. <laughs> How did you do that? How did you do that so quickly? How did you forget where the it's fuck like, Philadelphia you just was? Learn it. 
Yeah. It's on the board. Well, no, what didn't help was, I mean, if if we're really going into it, uh, what also didn't help was that, like, there were a couple years. So my, I'm adopted by whites. uh, And my family uh, went out of their way when I was really young to celebrate Kwanzaa. Hell yeah, let's go. Salt Lake City Kwanzaa. (laughs) Right. Salt Lake City white Kwanzaa. It's a, it's a, should be a movie. And, um, but there were a couple, there were a couple years, or I remember one year, I think I was in third grade, maybe, um, my mom came and she thought it was like important to like help integrate me into the school that she did like a little presentation for my class about Kwanzaa and stuff and like celebrating it. And then I think after that point, especially everybody was like oh so you're african because we just saw kente cloth and we saw right. these little fake fruits and the and the fucking candles and it's like that's yep. an african kid that's where where do you think because I'm, I'm just trying to put some pieces together where do you think your parents got kwanzaa materials materials <laughs> It's so lazy. Um, <laughs> so, so, I, I want to I I say also I want to preface this by saying I had the exact same experience, but I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and I had black parents, <laughs> so I'm terrified for what you're about to say. <laughs> no, it was I mean bad enough when they were actually African American people. I I just that question because like. I've been talking about that for years now. I have a whole bit in my stand-up about it that I do like a lot of times. So like I've thought about this a lot and said it a lot out loud. And I have not ever thought about <laughs> where these Kwanzaa materials came from. I have no clue. Cause like yeah. candles and stuff, it's like, okay, it's, it's, you know, like you can get that, you know what I mean? But like it's the like ca- the specific Kwanzaa holder thing. Right, you right, get right. The canara, you gotta get right. the canara. Canara, exactly. But where did that come? Where did my parents get it? Where did my mom get the? They the don't sell canaras at Walmart. They don't do it at Walmart. <laughs> they where definitely they sure don't got black people at Michaels. Like I don't know where. That's I, gotta, I would say that's dedication. Like I wherever gotta, they got it from. I don't know where the fuck in Salt Lake City you find kente cloth anything Any, in the nineties. <laughs> That's so, I feel like wow. you gotta go to the underground to get authentic <laughs> any damn thing in Salt Lake I mean, City. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're that dedicated, you could just go to the, you could just go to Vegas, you know, or Nevada or the next state or whatever. I don't know wherever the, wherever the next state. Kwanzaa, and, Kwanzaa is like a fully anti-capitalist but, holiday. How the hell would you? You're not even allowed to celebrate it within the confines of Las Vegas, Nevada. That wouldn't even make sense. But you're allowed to celebrate it in Salt Lake City. <laughs> they don't even know. They they know so little that they're like, yeah, what? I maybe I guess. Um. Well, speaking of not lowing a lot, let's let's talk about To Kill a Mockingbird because I feel like it is what there's there's certain movies that I feel like white people consider to be the work, right? Like I watched yes. this movie and now I have done enough. <laughs> Starting and ending with this for real, hundred percent done. This movie and this book. So, *The Killer Mockingbird* is, of course, based on Harper Lee's 1960 Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Uh, the movie came out in '62. It's directed by Robert Mulligan. Stars Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch, Murray Badheim as Scout. 
Um, and it is strangely enough, the film debut of Robert Duvall, who doesn't say anything. He just kind of like creeps out from behind the door and looks pale. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> and how and how we knew a career would await this man. <laughs> um, but the the movie and the book are like touchstones like they are very much so emblematic and not just like a part of the american tapestry but like when you think about this like this is required reading all around the world and i'm sure the movie as well is is part and parcel with that so like i said 1995 it was selected by the library of congress uh, for preservation of the national film registry 2003, the American Film Institute named Atticus Fetch the greatest movie hero of the 20th century. Oh, In 2007, the film close. ranked... Not even close to Thor or nothing. He can't do anything. He doesn't have a suit. And then <laughs> no, powers. no powers having this defense of the law. Man. Right. And the power not to call a black person in the next <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to tell because I mean, if we're going by 1962 money, the budget was two million. The box office was 13.1. I don't know what that means in terms of like if this was an expensive look, film or look what inflation's done to you, Jordan. Look what inflation's <laughs> done to you. These numbers, even... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. But um, let's let's get into our five minutes, Cameron. I feel like again, every week we say we can do these movies in five minutes, but you honestly could maybe cut the first hour of this movie out of the movie yeah. and then just get to the the part with the trial because I never got to know <laughs> niggas more than I got to know them in this movie before the plot came yeah. in. Golly. Um, but yeah, I'll start the timer if you want to do your best to see what you can do. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. We got this. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. So it is the 1930s in Maycomb, Alabama, all right? And we initially meet uh, Scout Finch, who's a little girl. She's a little precocious little girl. And her two friends, uh, uh, Jem, her older brother, Jem, and uh, their friend, Dill, who's Dill. He's he, he looks. There. He's just, I swear to God, what a character to just be there in an important story, apparently. <laughs> he keeps coming back, and he just is there, and it doesn't uh, yeah. work. <laughs> we stopped feeding him. He kept coming back. Uh, he's he's there, too. Um, so they're literally, the opening credit scene is kind of like a display of this uh, toy box where uh, Jem keeps stuff that he collects from a weird kid down the block, Boo Radley who uh, is just holed up at his house. He doesn't come out. He's weird and he doesn't come out. That's all you need to know at this point. Allegedly, he stabbed his father and his dad was like, you never seen the son again. You don't get to go outside. (laughs) It's a wrap for you. I got to watch you all the time now. We don't leave. So so, uh, Jem and Scout like collect little collectibles from Boo, who's like, you know, desperately thirsting for a childhood out here, I guess. Um, Then we meet our boy, the, the greatest hero alive, apparently. He could just smash Iron Man's face in, if he so chose. Atticus Finch, uh, the recently divorced father of Scout, who is the town lawyer. And uh, Atticus is basically... The, the plot, the meat of this movie is that he's taken on a case where uh, a young black man named Tom Robinson, maybe what, a, ta- a town over? Is it a town yeah. over? Uh, has raped a young white girl, Mayella. Allegedly. 
Male, allegedly. Sprinkle that allegedly all over it. We're going to get there. Okay. So male is, you know, crying wolf, literally. And uh, Tom Robinson has to be uh, taken into, uh, what is his name? Maycomb. Yeah. Has to be taken into Maycomb to uh, stand trial. And Atticus is taken on the case. The town is like, we don't like this. They even show up to the jail where Tom is being held. And they're like, bring him out. And Atticus is like, fam, we can stay here all night. You're not going to see him. It's not happening. Somehow then, that works. Because well, his precocious kids roll up and they're like, hey. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> a sc- scout hits him with the I know you and I seen you. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, the, uh, the mob goes, you know what? They've seen us. We can't, we, can't, we can't be here. We can't be seen here. We got to go home. So they go home, but everybody comes back for the trial the next morning where we get basically all the ends of the story. We get like a 30-minute Rashomon in the middle of the movie, basically. So we get first two uh, stands is Miles' father, Bob, Bob Yule, uh, whose full name is Robert E. Lee Yule, if you want to like take any information from this guy. Subtle, subtle. subtle. (laughs) This this is what we're dealing with here, right? (laughs) So we got Bob Yule, He's basically looking Tom up and down from across the from across the court, being like, "He did it, he did it." Atticus is like, "Well, how could he have did it? What did he? What hand did he hit Myella with?" He's like, "Whatever hand is good, I guess it was the I guess it was the left one." And Atticus is like, "Oh, word, because I got my boy Tom Robinson here to tell you a little story about how he what when he was twelve accidentally got his head caught in some machinery and is basically dead. So how could he have done this scientifically? They do the science right in the court in front of everybody. And on top of which, Mayla gets gets up on the stand and gets cross-examined. And then she just basically, white woman's white woman cries her way out of the situation. They literally catch her in the lie and she tries to cry her way out of jail. They hold her back. They hold her back and she says, yeah. no, no. <laughs> it's it's wild what happens here. And then finally, finally, Tom Robinson stands stands uh, stands trial, and it's an epic moment. He's 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 he's, he's literally well. He's played by Brock Peters, basically brethren akin to Sidney Poitier back in the day, and he, he's all he's all stoicism. He's literally watching this whole thing go down. He's watching all these people make up lies about him, and all he can do, all he can do in this moment, is tell the truth. And what he says is that Maella ran up on him and told him to chop up the shiffer robe. We're going to get there eventually. <laughs> We're going to find out what about a chopping up the shiffer robe. I'm going to start saying that all the time. <laughs> That's a song. That's a bar. Chopping up the shiffer robe. Fucking chop up the fucking shiffer robes. We get a song out of this podcast. All right. So apparently Tom is like, you know, Maella saw me on the street. Sam, can you chop up the shiffer robe for me? He was like, I felt sorry for you in the moment. I felt like there was no one around you who cared about you. So Audible gas could... from the white people in the courtroom. Audible gas. <laughs> this black man with one good arm was like, I'm going to help this white woman in this moment. And chopped up the shit for real far. In the, in the process of chopping this up, chopping this armoire up, she ran up on him and was like, give me that kiss. I want that kiss. <laughs> And he was like, no, sir, no, ma'am, I'm not giving you that kiss. And she was like, I want it. I want it now. 
She pushed he pushed her off of him. Apparently, she was she just grew three sizes that day and was able to drag him back yep. to, to try to rape him in this moment. But um, apparently, he was able to get away somehow. He was able to get away. And the, um, whole, the whole time, Dad was watching through the window like a creep, I guess. Because Dad was there. <laughs> Dad was like, <laughs> didn't stop it. <laughs> Maybe my ancestors will make movies about this one day. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, so, uh, in his closing argument, finally his closing argument comes, Atticus's closing argument, and it basically lays out fundamental racism to this entire room. Lays it out. This, this whole room has heard all three sides of the story. Dad, Myella and Tom Robinson and Atticus Finch finally goes, if you look at the facts, I just showed you the facts. He is unable to hit with this arm. He wasn't even trying to be there, fam. He was trying to, you know, pass on by. He just saw a woman and a shipper robe in need. And I showed you what happened. Court goes away. The jury goes away. They come back in the next scene. It's been two hours they deliberated on this. Didn't even take that long. Maybe they just ate a sandwich and had a cool glass of water before they said, that nigga's guilty. <laughs> Ship them off. And literally, every and they leave. And literally, the craziest part about the scene is that the white people leave with the quickness. It is done. He has yep. been, Tom Robinson has been shipped off to jail. And white people are like, job well done. Let's all go have be. a pint. Right? And... <laughs> The black people are watching from the above tier, the mezzanine. Shock, sadness, dismay. Stuck but in also, the moment. Respect. But also respect in that moment. Because nothing if all the black people in this movie are the most respectable <laughs> ever met in their entire <laughs> life. Good good black people who will let little white children sit alongside them in the mezzanine. So yeah. The black people stand stand at this and, you know, what happens, happens. Cops do what cops going to do. Atticus comes home that day. Sheriff Tate got a little bit of news. Turns out while they were taking Tom Robinson back to prison, he escaped. His, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> it tells, basically, Sheriff Tate just lies on this man and tells us, tells the audience and Atticus Finch that Tom Robinson escaped and we shot not to maim. We shot to maim and instead killed this man on the Oops. street. Oopsie daisy. <laughs> Tom Robinson is dead. Atticus sits up thinks on this. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna drive over to the Robinsons and deliver this horrible, horrible news that I believe, apparently. And <laughs> take takes this news over to the family. The family also believes this news and you know, whatever, fine. But Bob Yule wasn't done. He was like, you no. made me stand trial for these niggas. This is what I got for you. Ha! Right in his face. Blam, <laughs> blam. Just, just spins the block on the snicker. Atticus, Atticus sits there. He, he steps on him. He steps to him. Takes two steps on him. And then he reaches in his pocket. Pulls out that handkerchief. He wipes that spit right off of his face. And says, hey, you. Hey, buddy. Take that elsewhere. And Robert E. Lee Yule is like, fine, nigga. <laughs> Pieces out. Cut to several months have passed. Niggas is happy again, I guess. Tom Robbins is dead, I guess. 
You know, everybody's <laughs> a family ever. Everything's right with the world. Scout grew up a little bit. We are all good. It's Halloween. Scout she's a going ham. Halloween and she's a ham. She's literally in the most Charlie Brown ham costume you've ever seen in your life. They're going down to, you know, what, the fucking Veterans Hall or whatever to go to the Halloween evening pageant or whatever the fuck they're going to. And they're walking over there. And, of course, they got to walk through the weird, murky forest. They're walking through the weird, murky forest, scouting Jem, uh, scouting her older brother. They're walking through the forest. They're, you know, it's all good. It's all We're just chilling. And there's something in the forest. They turn around. It's gone again. What happened? Oh, somebody came out. Oh, somebody grabbed Jim. Just, just shook the shit out of Jim. Just tossed his ass. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's just like the most violence you would see in a movie from this era. They literally <laughs> grabbed him up. You see their feet move a little bit, and then they just toss Jim into some brush, and that nigga died off that. He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just at the moment where this person's about to attack Scout, out of nowhere, another man comes out of comes out of this space, and 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 the, the two the two of them tussle. Now you don't get to see who it is. You only see Scout's eyeballs through the ham costume, and apparently it was just some of the most traumatic things the Scout has ever seen. Well, her friend died. I'll give it that. Her, her friend. Died. Well, That's Jeff true. didn't die, but he he was he was unconscious. No, he died. No, he didn't. Dead. He, he didn't. Die. He was in the bed. Well, oh, they okay. they brought him back to okay. the to the. I mean, I he looked dead. He looked I'll give dead. you that. But well, as far as the, as far as cameras concerned, that nigga died because like he, he they bring him back. They, so the, the this mystery man brings him back to the house. Uh, but then he leaves, or apparently he just wasn't seen. Apparently he just entered the house unseen and put Jem into his own bed. And Scout followed them back and was like, "What happened to Jem? Is he dead? Apparently not. The doctor was there and able to say that he's not dead." But Sheriff Tate is the man who's there. Sheriff Tate says, you know, somebody roughed up Jim and Atticus walks over there and he's like, what happened? What, what's going on? Well, guess who was the person who saved you, Scout? The person who saved you was young Boo Radley, who you never saw his face is young Robert Duvall, Boo Radley. Somehow the black person wasn't named Boo in this story, but... Uh, <laughs> I was waiting on that. I, just, I, I have to remember that because I definitely thought it was going to. I thought Boo was short for Jigaboo Radley. Hey, Sam, Boo was already there. My I mean, look, open. Robert E. Lee Yule, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past a Jigaboo this, Radley. This book wasn't trying to be. It wasn't tipping thrown around the bush. Uh, apparently, Jim died in the bush or sort of died in the bush. He was all right. But basically, Sheriff Tate and Atticus have a little chat on the, on the, on the, on the porch. And Atticus, again, True, uh, altruistic white man. He was like, "Well, obviously, Jim is a young child. He was obvious. He didn't fight this older man. He was obviously attacked by uh, we uh, come to find well, come to find out that it was uh, who? Yeah, who, Bob, Bob Yule attacked the kids to like, try to get yeah. get back at them, and then Boo yeah. came to like 
save them uh, why he was in the woods what he was doing late. there bro they, but knows. that's a woods dude you know it's too early. <laughs> he hangs out in the woods sometimes he gets he gets a certain amount of woods time yeah you gotta month. give him woods time or he's gonna stab again <laughs> uh and so, yeah like he fought dude and then they were like in the most convert like this is this is a conversation you imagine a lot of white people have where they're just like so here's the story we're gonna tell right yes they fought in the woods and this man fell on his knife and died and sheriff tate tells atticus that is like i guess that's what you saw and atticus (laughs) says oh no sir hey buddy what about i'm about to hey buddy you in the jail sir (laughs) and he was sheriff tate's like look at his badge bitch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, this says what goes and basically tells the entire future of America in one finger point. This is how it goes. I'm the cop. I say what goes. And Atticus just like sits in that. And Scout also sits in that with a friend who, as far as I was concerned, is dead. And they go <laughs> home. They go home. Literally, they just go home after being double defeated. Yes. She and walks Boo Radley back to the to the crib next door, and yeah, he says, "Hey, like, Boo, go uh, peace out. I'll see you later." And Boo goes back home. And he's like, "You're like a mockingbird too, just like <laughs> my friend Tom Robinson, just like my buddy Tom Robinson who escaped <laughs> jail. Oh wait, no, he's dead. He's dead. End of movie." You know the real thing would have been like just like my friend Tom. Hmm, what was his name? <laughs> what was his name? <laughs> <laughs> like, he, knows, he knows my maid. Yeah, very cool. Him and Cal Perny, they love each other. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I guess let's just get into it. (laughs) So, a couple of things to talk about. I think where I want to start is like, this is like white people have an attachment to this movie and the Atticus Finch character that I find. Not necessarily fascinating because it like it makes sense, but it's like it's 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 such a thing and like any attempt to shake them of it or like to have rational discourse about it is just like he is the greatest man to ever live, although he is a fictional character who never lived. <laughs> and this is what I aspire to be. And like watching this movie he did his job <laughs> literally that he mm. was assigned the case <laughs> defended said case did a good i mean you know th- look 30s there's no like dna evidence that's all he said he said he's trying to work it out i think he presented a pretty good case right fair, fair. lost the case that's it you know what i mean like it wasn't like he wasn't called in or from a from a disparate county where it's like, oh, you know, nobody's willing to defend this man. You know, he's going to go to trial all by himself. You know, and and Atticus Finch stepped up to to put himself in harm's way. Even in the sense of like, when he was at the courthouse, like I, I guess the police just decided they weren't going to do any. I don't know why he was there and not the sheriff or anybody else, but like. That may be the most that he put himself out there. Because yeah. there's multiple times in this movie where he drives to the Robinson house, goes inside, Bob Yule shows up drunk or belligerent or something, 
Atticus looks at him, drives away, and leaves that man <laughs> with yep. those black people, knowing that anything could happen, I guess. But he's just like, that's not my that's not my problem. My problem is defending this case. Anything right. that happens outside of that purview is like, what are you going to do about it? That's what? make him. <laughs> he presents such a specific uh, concept of morality where he's like, it's just so he's venerated as like, oh man, he is just like so. This is why they're calling him a hero because he's like supposed to be this like Superman sort of moral character that he's like not compromising. I'm it, I'm always gonna tell the truth until I'm forced to not tell the truth or whatever, which is very like again like yeah, bare. That's the bare minimum. He's doing his job, and also part of the. The main thing that makes him such a quote unquote good guy is because every other white character fucking hates black people. That's the <laughs> the only thing. It's bare. He's just like, oh, I just don't want all black people to die. And they're like, whoa, he's the best guy. But because do we even have, does Atticus Finch like black people? I don't know if we ever get confirmation of that. I think right, he's like, like this man. Hang out. Yeah, he had a black. Would he hang out which, with the Robinsons? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like he he didn't seem to really have any. He had a strange. I don't know if the book explains it better, but like in the movie, he had a strange relationship with the black community, where like the Reverend was like, "Your father is like a moral, upstanding man." And it's like I've never seen him talk to you. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who you are, or why all of a sudden, like you have this reverence for him, like simply because he didn't turn the case down, right? I guess he's nice because it's like he's not. It, no, does he have to like you know uh, invite Tom Robinson to his house to like? Because that's I mean one. They never came to his house. He always went to their house, which was a very specific thing. Yeah. Uh, but but too, like it, he he never like he was never talking about it in the sense of like, you know, um, the way that we treat black people is like you know this terrible injustice or whatever. It's like this specific instance right here. I get the sense that if it had been a white man accused of the same thing would have defended him the same way right if it would like it, it wasn't necessarily like a race just happened to be a thing that was coming into play mm -hmm. but like you're saying skylar like his moral code just seemed to be i tell the truth forever no matter right. what the situation <laughs> is and i will ups up uphold morals no matter what the situation is but like i don't necessarily like tom robinson or well like... <laughs> i don't even know if it's even that relevant it's just like truth and the law right but right. yeah what we didn't ever see him interact with is laws that might have been um like immoral laws right because this yeah. was a very specific case of like this person was accused of doing this thing that's not right but but like we've never we never saw him in a case that was like oh this black person went into the no black zone and there is evidence and people saw him go into the no black zone so yeah. are you going to uphold 
that like it, it really was law. like right. i'm doing my job and upholding the law and it's like well but the laws are racist too you know so it's like <laughs> well, if you're a good lawyer and you're a tool of like the law then you're not really like he's like i'm not gonna compromise my morals to not defend this part it's the first thing that happens in the movie he's like yeah he's like well you're gonna defend that nigger and he's like well that's my defendant and that is what my job is to do and so i'm going to do that job he's not like oh this is messed up man he's just like well you know i'm coming in and i'm doing everything is what i need to be doing (laughs) it's so weird how that like i feel like people read into a lot right you know what i mean because i i was watching the movie and waiting for like the speech where he was like and america you know has a long way to go in terms of like how we treat each other and like all these things or having some because even like the conversations he had with scout in the book it's described as being very both sidesy where he's like hey Mm. you know like this is obviously not good and like the way that they're treating tom robinson isn't good but remember that these people are our neighbors and like we are friends with them and like Mm -hmm. you know we shouldn't necessarily like look at them poorly because of decisions that they're making in this moment you know like there's room for growth and like learning and and all these other things and like a low-key sense of like and black people kind of like you know you know how they are so (laughs) we gotta help them out a little bit you know and it's just like and that's the that's the hero of the movie is the one that is like very much so not because it's very reminiscent of we watched Amasad for this podcast and it's like you are defending this case not on like the moral principle of racism writ large is is a systemic problem that's bad and we're trying to prove a point you're trying to win on a technicality because it's it's like it turns into like a whole legal chess game of like you know we're just trying to win the case instead of like fighting for racism directly because there is never fighting against racism right there is never a point in the movie because this is we can we can step back slightly right like Tom Robinson's had been killed for less, right? Like oh, yeah. The ac- yeah. accusation of raping a white woman was like, that's the ultimate. But like looking at one wrong, being in the same vicinity as one when another white man wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the yeah. list and goes also, down. Like, look, like not to victim blame, but bro, you can't be chopping up a shifro. <laughs> like, and you should know that. You know where you live. You know who her daddy is. You should know, man. You cannot have that lapse in judgment because people are, are getting killed just for looks. And if you're going to take your fucking one-armed ass and actually chop up the shifro, it's like, dude, you again, not to victim blame, but you, you don't need to be in that situation. You nice. died off a shipper rope. Couldn't be like, <laughs> Couldn't be me. Could, couldn't see me nowhere near there. And just for just for the record, just so everyone who's listening to this podcast just doesn't give a shit about reading to kill Mockingbird or the technicalities of this book, a shipper robe is an armoire that has a separate set of shelves. So oh, that fancy. one half is an armoire, an armoire where you can hang items, and nice. another part is shelved so you can store folded items. 
that I might need to look into robe. a shiffer robe. They still make they still make the shiffer robe. Is that don't get a white woman to make it for you. <laughs> Don't have and her. Don't it. chop it up. Definitely don't <laughs> chop it up. I like how she was like, "Yeah, woman. just chop it up my shiffer robe." Like that's the thing people did in the front yard. It took <laughs> me a solid <laughs> ten minutes to be like, "Okay, they keep saying chopping up the shiffer robe. We need to go back. We need research. I need to see what he's chopping right. up." And apparently, he's chopping this up with one arm. So, like, they got a nice piece of furniture just sitting out in front of the house, yeah, like a big old closet, basically. And your, you know, handicapped man's right here. Hey, come and chop this thing up. Yeah, that'll give him perfectly enough time for me to feel in his butt. Like, what was going through Mayella's head at that period of time? I mean, you know, you know what it is. I mean, (laughs) there's reasons that certain websites are popular. Right. <laughs> Chopshipperrobe.com. Could you logging on? Shipperrobes.com. She, she said she said uh you know one shipper robe versus four <laughs> I swear to god if the next episode of Black is fucking a dude <laughs> in LA chopping up a shipper robe or fucking Sunset Boulevard <laughs> <and then> like, <laughs> <laughs> like Becky in a Fashion Nova dress walker. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm gonna lose. They got the fucking Shifro bus driving around. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I don't. Oh. I don't know how to tie this back into the movie. But <laughs> I will say, it's what's gonna happen. That's, that's gonna be. You're gonna see that at the AVN Awards. <laughs> I apologize for my knowledge of porn. <laughs> by the way, I apologize. To the I think, <laughs> I think the thing that makes the movie so unrealistic is that like Tom Robinson had a trial. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. He would have <laughs> just been dead. Like, <laughs> right? If that if that was the accusation, like that night, they would have just got as like I don't know if the <laughs> how the even if the police got him first, what. Knowing Bob Yule, because they that's what they tried to do. Like it's the circumstance which, like he, yeah, he got incredibly lucky even going to trial. But like we know the the police are very corrupt in this, and that they don't care. And they were ready to walk up in the jail, right? And that Bob Yule was ready to walk up in the jail throughout, and then afterwards they just ended up doing it. So like the fact that they, yeah, it's like this whole the trial was like this big extra step that they were like i bet it's gonna be a teaching moment for everybody and then we're gonna kill him anyway because i I just that that's the that's the problem that's the problem with like a lot of these things right is we tell one story uh, and we do another thing and not we you know in this case is white people it's white people it's white people white people yeah that's what they do is the you know and and that's the story of white people in America for forever. This and I think that's what people grab onto when they see this story, when they whether it's the book or the a movie version or you know actually, funny enough, I I saw the Broadway revival recently, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin. Mm-hmm. There was a big Broadway revival of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. They Aaron Sorkin basically rewrote Harper Lee's book as a play and presented like a new version of the text and from what i can see 
because I actually didn't stay for the second act. But what they, <laughs> yeah, I actually walked out that bitch. Um, but what they do change in the first act is there's way more interaction with Tom Robinson. You get you get like uh, there's a scene where they basically depose him. Mm-hmm. Like they they ask him like what kind of person are you like what what have you done in your life what kind of person are you versus like in this movie where like you only as an audience see Tom Robinson during the trial and when he's being yep. brought to the trial and you also hear his voice at the end of the the riot scene which kind of stays intact in the play uh, it's kind of goofy actually in the play they said it like a big scrim falls in front of the um, the stage. And in a tiny, it's like one of those art minimalistic kind of like representations of a jail. So it's just a brick wall with a tiny window up in right. the corner. And he's up in the corner like, are they gone, boss? And Atticus Fridge is sitting like on the edge of the stage goes, yes, yes, they're gone. And then the curtain closes back too. And then you can see why I fucking left that shit. Because, yeah. because what the, the story is trying to tell is that if only you would have known Tom Robinson right that's that's the, yeah when, once once he dies in this story is if only you would have got to know him if only you would have understood that he his arm didn't work because he was a foolish child just like just like me i could have been a foolish child who got my arm caught in machinery yeah if only he right. would have cut your right. shit would have known if he you would have known, known. <laughs> he was an audience like it like i feel like that actually changes the emotional resonance of what you should have feel by injecting Exactly. See, now I feel like cutting a shift robe is a euphemism for yeah. something, and I can't. Well, we know. We know what it is. We know what it is. Every time you see a young uh, interracial couple walking out of a vintage store, <laughs> he, he cutting her shift robe. He cutting her shift robe. <laughs> well, I think what what is like even that scene right where they go to the jail and scout comes in front and it hits him with the big boy from ATL like that ain't who I think it is you know she's looking at him like oh, okay like in reality they would have just killed all of them fuck yeah and then Yo, killed Atticus Tom Robinson the you know what I mean like, like, he like get out of my way nigga. they would have like, no and they would have been like they would have just boom. beat his ass because like what I mean again that like that fantasy of like these white children you know so disarmed this angry mob of white like if they're at that point they're not gonna just be like oh three, you know what i mean these yep. little white kids is here i guess we can't three you know children what I mean? it's like three they children and it's a giant mob and they're like oh no well there's also <laughs> this concept that like i think i i just put this together um i've been reading lately about um Mormonism and white supremacy and how that was engineered into the fabric of the beginning of Salt Lake City, Utah and Mormonism uh, itself, which is what started the state. And it is with Atticus and with Jem and Scout is this concept of white innocence surrounding what these things are that have to do with like racism, right? (laughs) The racism isn't the quote-unquote system the racism is uh something that a bunch of people become and there is this concept of original sort of innocence where 
you know, like with Atticus, he's not being anti-racist, but he's not right. That's why he's like wearing the white. He's wearing all this stuff. He's like, yeah, I am mm-hmm. innocent of this sin, essentially, mm-hmm. of being like racist and uh and violent. And like what the characters who are in the mob react to when they see Scout and Jim are is that same thing of being like, oh, well, they're these like innocent kids and we're not going to harm them because we like recognize their sort of like ultimate innocence in this situation Mm -hmm. and that is what like in in this book it sort of feels like it's presenting this idea that like Mm. well like not it doesn't say we need to change the laws it doesn't say that there are fundamental things what it is is saying that like people need to make this like individual decision all these groups of people it's like a scourge that we all need to individually stop being racist so we can get back to a place of being like Atticus where we're innocent and it's like there's like an erasure of a whole set of issues that leads to that point when it comes to like policing for example Mm -hmm. like you you see this uh, I think what makes the book why it's become such a part of an American history is it's like the first thing to critique these things and present them as such. Mm. But I feel like uh, Harper Lee, the author, uh, is even in this making criticisms that I think as a white person in America at that time, she's not fully aware of is being like, uh, yeah, it's this like bad apple idea of cops. It's like, well, the sheriff in this situation, he's bad and these people are bad and all of this, but like we're sort of innocent from this like harm being like fucking thrown on to people. Right. Well, I think it's, I mean, I always, I, I like the idea of white innocence in the sense of like we can't expose them to that but we'll publicly have lynchings as like a like a public event that you can like come to like we made flyers for this and you can like spend a day here and they'll my wife made potatoes like (laughs) we're we're gonna make like like postcards out of the body after the fact that you can like mail to people but God forbid that my white child (laughs) sees like just general violence uh from one white person to another you know what i mean it's just like that huh like those right. connections don't well, there's i feel like line there's up. two reactions two large-scale reactions to this this is the white reaction and the black reaction to this the black reaction yeah. well the white reaction to this is is if racism is allowed to persist in any kind of ecosystem hate spreads like wildfire right that's just the case and and as a result of that no one is safe not even your children as a result jen gets screwed up you know is exposed to terrible violence so on and so forth then there's the black response which is see i told you like right the robinsons even when when atticus goes over there he's like Tells him the story that he heard, you know, the story that he doesn't even know is probably not true. He goes and tells the Robinsons that story. And while they cry, they don't, they don't like bend over weeping. 
it's almost expected. It's almost like, mm-hmm. damn. That yeah. That was time, my nigga. I wish you would have gotten chopped up that ship robe, but you know, I, I can't tell him what yeah. to do. I told him about told the ship robes. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's I think it's it's the same analysis we do all the time, where it's just like if you're a white person watching this movie, you get to be Atticus Finch and you get to be the hero and you get to have the ultimate moral compass. And if you're a black person watching this movie, you get to be mm-hmm. the you get to be Calpurnia or the and guy tell, Calpurnia. Tell Scout not to do that and that that's bad. Yeah, don't be don't be mean to that white kid who wants to pour gravy all over his food, even though like, bro. For I mean, first of all, take it easy with the gravy. No, take it easy with the gravy. But it's also like, I made I made that <laughs> food. I actually like seasoned like there's. This isn't what you eat at home. Like you don't have to put gravy all over it. You can actually like enjoy individual bites of the food. So like I'm also insulted that you would pour gravy all over my food as if that's how you make whatever you're eating edible. You know what I mean? So I, you know, it, I the movie I guess had to give her lines and things to do right. so that she chastises Scout, but it's just like Scout kind of had a. I mean, you know, <laughs> wasted, wasted, wasted uh, the Calpurnia part in this movie. Just right. All she existed to do was be like, "Damn, that kid ain't got no taste buds whatsoever." Or and to be like, "I'm sorry, your friend died." That's that's it. Yeah. But the only other person you get to be is Tom Robinson, who gets and yeah, then you die. gets killed, and so it's just like there's there's not a lot of choice. <laughs> here and even like we were talking about this is the question i wanted to pose uh because me and Cameron were talking about it earlier so like let's remove tom robinson right and let's say that atticus finch is defending like an 18 year old kid from chicago who's like six three and like looks like he might he, he looks like he can use both arms uh, <laughs> he's defending Zion. You know Williams. what I mean, and it's just like one. Does he does he perform the defense with the same fervor that he does with this one? But two, like the idea that Tom had to be, and sometimes people say things, and you're like, oh man, you're jumping to the manosphere. But like Tom, Tom is Tom is sexually non-threatening. Right, like there's there's nothing about him that is like, oh, he's like a virile black man, right? You know what I mean? He he's incapable of using one of his arms. He speaks softly. He seems to be like the Atticus Finch of black people, I guess, because he was like, <laughs> you know, I didn't take any money from her. You know, I just felt so so bad for this woman that I just did manual labor for her before I went and did my job. Right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, there's a reason they got Brock Peters to play this part, right? Because he's, like I said, he's like literally akin to City right. Forty Eight back back in these days. So you've literally got one of the most powerful voices and faces in Hollywood to portray a man who is like devoid of agency in this situation. He was just walking right. home. He was walking home. He said, "She said, I'll give you a nickel." He was like, "Fam, I don't need that nickel," but like. I'll I'll do it because I see that no one right. loves you. But if it was a Tom Robinson, <laughs> but like Tom, but like T apostrophe 
Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> the it's like, and it's like it's a whole. It feels like a whole different situation because, like, if you're not the perfect person, you know, for that, it happens every time. Every every police shooting. Let's find yeah. the worst picture, you know, that we can find. Let's like find the worst anecdotes that will like paint this person as like threatening or like you know somebody yeah george floyd was selling cigarettes well here here's what i will say about this not to completely defend this but like the more we talk about it i am thinking about it in in context of of where white people were at at the time this book came out and when like the movie came out is that like this I and I kind of said before is like the first I think time that anybody would even yes people would be like oh yeah you know the system's messed up but like showing an example of because that's why it's like fraught with these things like the trial wouldn't yeah. have happened so like showing it so specifically and then going completely the other way and going like and that's exactly what would have happened you would need (laughs) somebody that was like the situation has to be so extreme and so clear because it it is you know fiction and it is like a moral story that the situation needs to be so extreme that even the most prejudiced person if you're not anybody to the left of a white supremacist that's like we should kill them anyway be like that's messed up and you need these sort of like super basic Mm -hmm. versions of it in order for otherwise the lesson of hey guys racism is not gonna land and uh even uh, now i'm defending it too much but even (laughs) in the context of like there were there were other there were black authors there were so many different people who told stories of you know being enslaved and stuff happening this is what happened to me blah 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 blah. but like think of how few white people are even listening to those things those guys it's it's, it's the narrative has to be written in like a very uh overly simplistic perspective it's got to have these unrealistic elements and it's got to be done by a white woman and the white man's got to be the hero or otherwise no one's even going to start to listen about the idea of racism and that's like it's not black people who need a white savior it's white people who need the white savior because they can't listen to anything else i guess my question then would be (laughs) how far have white people come (laughs) <laughs> since <laughs> this book came out <laughs> because uh-huh. <laughs> you want to do the math because you're not going like that because <laughs> I think I wonder like in terms of I, I agree with you 100% right because this is a book and a movie for white people for black people I mean I know this I, I know this story and I know this story as fantasy right like a lot of the things that happen here I'm just like okay we're already kind of stretching the truth for white people, it's it's interesting because one, like you're saying, nobody's Robert E. Yule, right? Like no, that nobody reads this book, or at least the people. Yeah, nobody reads this book yeah. and it's like, damn. But he kind of had a point though. Like, 
Yeah, everybody's <laughs> like, I'm Atticus Finch, right? Like, every person, whether they are or not, like, sides with Atticus Finch, sees themselves through that moral lens. And, like, it, it's not that right. fictional characters don't have the power to inspire, to change, to, you know, show moral lessons and moral tales. But it is also so interesting that, like, the greatest hero of 20th century you know what i mean like that like that standard mm-hmm. of like this yeah. man is so good that like nobody else is even approaching what he did even though again literally his job was to do what he did and <laughs> on top of that like when you think about when you think about just the way that you were saying right like this is the time this is 1960 like how many black people how many activists even before 1960 were were saying the exact same things in or around this book you know what I mean? in and around this film right. this comes out it wins a pulitzer prize everybody's like glowing about it and then how many years later do they shoot martin luther king like how many <laughs> years later do they do it? So it's like the the yeah. impact of these things, right? When you look at them and like people will rave and put this book on all the required reading lists, and like this film is like one of the you know greatest films of all time. But then when you think about it, it's like, but who learned the lesson that the movie? Yeah. Who is it great for? <laughs> because who is it great for? Because if you show me To Kill a Mockingbird and like my ethics class or whatever the hell class you show it to me and I, I, i'm gonna be like cool until tom robinson dies and i'm gonna be mad <laughs> and then i know that a bunch of tom robinsons have continued to die until i got here on the planet right right so what's the movie for because atticus didn't win and america didn't win so who's right, the real but hero? I, I do think that like in this situation, again, I don't, I don't understand how I got to this position of arguing for this book. If Atticus, it's, it's, um, I think when I'm thinking about this, first of all, cut, cut the goddamn very beginning and the end of the hey, before the trial, after the trial. I don't care. Like, there's so much extra stuff on here. But aside from all that, just so much. There's like back in the day where you could just keep writing and people were like, well, we don't you, have anything you else don't to do. You want to see Scout like, rolling in the tire what? until she. <laughs> yeah, rolling in the tire. I don't care. <laughs> Who cares? That's stupid. Oh, he's shooting a mad dog. And that's the metaphor for racism. <laughs> Shut up. I don't even know the symbol. Who cares? It's, he's a dog. It, and he shoots it. And it's like, whoa, what if that means. And this is one of those okay, movies whatever. where you're like, but, did they actually shoot that dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like, yeah, could have just shot that dog. We might have just it, shot that dog. Ran it back though. They definitely did like a really weird trick when they put his leg on like a little like uh, yeah, like, some fishing wire and just like snatched at his leg a little bit. Yeah, I was like, the dog yeah. was hurt. They might not have shot it, but they did hurt a dog for the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think that in order for it to um, have been. Uh, effective for the reason that it was he did need to I don't think um, I think he needed to uh, uh, lose I don't think Tom needed sure. to die that's what I think the right. was. There I, we think go. That, yeah. I think that it was laid out perfectly and in order to get the thrust of like 
look how racist people are, even though it's so clear that he's innocent and they're calling him guilty. I do think that he needed to lose. What they didn't need was the extra step of, and also we're going to kill him because that's how racist. Like, well, we already got that they were racist from the fact that they saw the rhetoric and were like, no. And then they're like, but we're so racist that we're going to kill him. It's like, well, I already knew yeah. you wanted to kill him. But then it's so, like, why didn't you just kill him off job? Like, why didn't we have a trial if you're just going to kill him? Anyways. Right. So <laughs> to me, that's what undercuts it more than the like him losing. But like the fact that like on top of that and, and dead, like, well, we already learned the lesson and then you killed him. And they're like, well, because that's reality. But it's like, oh, oh OK, I right. don't know. Well, I'm always like, but it's also like not real. It's a fictional story. You right. can yeah, do exactly. whatever you it's want. A, yeah, it's a um, yeah I think last thing I, I do want to touch on before we get into some of the behind the scenes of the movie is that. I think the mileage for this film really depends on like, do you like Scout as a character, and do you like the girl who plays Scout? And for me, the answer was no, both times. No, either. <laughs> yeah, no, um, no. But it's like so. Th- I think part of, I'm assuming for white people, the endearing legacy of the book is this coming of age awakening of this young girl in this town and also her relationship with her father and kind of how he guides her through this moral awakening except a black man has to get a falsely accused of rape and die in order and for her to kind of be like huh you know what i don't think that's fair yeah well that's the other <laughs> insane part of this is that like yeah dealing with these narratives about racial oppression and things like that like for for everything i argued for here's my uh, argument on top of that against it is that like all of this is still this function of um because it's a fiction and because of the way people read it it's not like uh it, it doesn't it doesn't resonate as much in a real sense it's more like a part of just like white people's growth to be like it's a character uh flaw to be racist and it's like something that racism is something that i overcome because it's it's like me <laughs> not lying or something like that like it's what? not it's not about the people that it affects it's about me not being racist that's the yeah. that's the part about um white innocence and it being a sin as with like what they uh, were doing in Salt Lake when they made the Mormon church is that, that the racism and the effect of it wasn't the problem. It was that being racist right. was bad. And like yeah. for your soul, not for like the way it affects other people. So it's still white centric. You you talk about racism like it's something that can be cured by uh, medicine they sell you during the nightly news. Yeah. Like right. if, if you take Ozempic, then... <laughs> You're not gonna be racist no more. I was yeah. so racist until I took. I don't know why I said Ozempic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know that's for something. What was the What was the thing that Roseanne so took racist. that made her racist? Oh, <laughs> I think it was Klonopin like, or some shit like that. Like, <laughs> made her. Ra- it wasn't. Was like, no, nothing made her racist. She was just too chill. She was just too relaxed. 
He's like, I'm off the Zans. Where my niggers at? Well, I think, yeah, like that, that to me is always just like the failings of these movies, no matter how much moral, you know, fiber and, and, and background they try to build into it. It's like, so there's no other way for you to learn that lesson <laughs> like, black. did a yeah, fictional well, like, black man have to die in his family well, at the because it's crazy death. because a real life black man died in 2020 and then 2021 white people are like this is exhausting i'm so tired yeah. of protesting and like yeah, well, you- thinking about race can we just go back to uh what we were doing before and it's like bruh like it hasn't it literally hasn't even been a year like <laughs> and right and so then comes in the black reading on this book see i told you it's been exhausting forever why do you think we're tired all the fucking time because we literally go to trader joe's we get called nigga randomly and then it makes us fucked up and mad right or like the thing that you get a lot lately especially in like comedy is like there is this whole section of people that feels like because they read to kill a mockingbird maybe or understand it on this level is like being like, why do you keep talking about race and stuff? As if it's like if things are that different. The boogeyman, the boogeyman existed so long ago, and, and then it we bring up or whatever. That's yeah. also the problem with um, books like this. If we want to make another criticism, is that it, it being so overt? This he clearly couldn't have done it, and they like still. Just, said he was guilty and killed him instead and whatever um the the problem with education or american education or whatever is like this is i do think that this maybe lays a fundamental sort of is representative of if not causing a white consciousness shift maybe away from like consciously believing in racism or at least even understanding that um the justice system might be messed yeah. up for some people. Uh, yeah. The problem is with a book like this and putting Atticus Finch up as one of the greatest heroes or whatever is like, okay, then we understand it on the level of To Kill a Mockingbird. And then there's no other, there's no uh, progress from yeah. that point. And uh, because our education system sucks and people are stupid, then it's not continually contextualized in our time people go that's what i read in high school and then just like let it go or i have this uh copy of uh the autobiography of malcolm x where (laughs) somebody the person reading it was clearly a white probably high schooler because you can see i I wrote an onion headline about it that's going to come out this week but you can see the annotations in it being like asking questions on stuff and being like very questioning of the text and then at the very end her like takeaway is like is malcolm x anti-american is he is he racist because he can't forgive and stuff like that that's like so you again understand it on this level but you think that because of some progress now means that equality has happened and it's the same and like there are some things that are really bad but like that's only like individual actors and not systemic perpetuating issues that people where, where we would just be like, Oh, see, I told you. And you could, you can't even see that level to it where you're like, aren't when some racist shit happens to you and you go, 
wow, some racist shit happens to me. And you tell a white friend and then they go, oh my God, I can't believe <laughs> oh, that wow. I Are can't okay? believe that happened to Are you. you. Okay? Well, I can because it's happened all the time. What do you mean you can't believe it? We're not in Narnia. We're in fucking America. What can't you believe? That's worse. That's worse than you can't believe it. You should be like, oh, that, yeah. that would happen. Yes. I mean, I, I don't I don't want to do this to my boy. I love my boy and I love his work. But I feel like this is the same reason, like, white people were so ready to name like to pimp a butterfly the greatest rap album they had ever heard in their life they were just like oh my god one black guy talked about racism on a grand scale and rapped about it rippity rap rapped about it and i was like oh my i've never heard yeah. how did i might be a socialist like just like just like everything unlocked for him and like it was funny i remember like the discourse when all right dropped right Great yeah. song. Again, uh, like, no shade to this album. Still think it's a 10 out of 10. Still think it's like his greatest work still. Da, 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 right? Blah, blah, blah. But when All Right dropped, white people thought it was basically for them just as much as it was for us. Right? Remember, you, you couldn't go to one of the Pimp Butterfly shows without hearing white people like, we gonna be all right. I was like, who's we, nigga? <laughs> from who? All right, from who? It's you. No, when I look at that, I'm like, I'm going to be all right. Shut up. Sit down. Right. Right? I mean, we've all seen the videos of, like, you know, little Christina's going up on stage and being like, oh, my God, I'm me and my niggas. And then Kendra's like, whoa, 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 what did I tell you? What did I tell you? What did I tell you, Christine? You got to chill. You got to chill, Christine. Oh, I'm so Oh my god. That's the, um. if we want to even get into this, how I feel in some stuff i'm going through right now with comedy and and have is that a lot of times i think creating and if you're gonna get to kendrick's level you need a lot of white fans or even doing comedy in the way i do it or having my voice or having my style it's it's consumed by a lot of white people so a lot of times even being like a black creator just trying to be honest and share your truth with anybody that's going to hear does at times feel like chopping up a (laughs) chiffro in that sense where you're like i i feel like i'm doing this for the consumption of people who don't understand it or that i'm like educating them or that i'm i'm just sort of perpetuating their perspective and saying it back to them because that's the level mm-hmm. they planted on so mm-hmm. it it sometimes feels like uh, and and if you want to break it down in a result of a capitalist system, we are all doing things for the white man anyway. And, and all of this is sure. just about the version of slavery. But it is hard to go, what is my creative center if you're like just trying to be successful? Because if I was just being honest all the time, I would just be angrily whatever. But then you like... It'd be Paul Mooney. Right. And <laughs> I don't... I would like version of success so you can't just be that which is very difficult to like to reconcile yeah. within yourself and, and I, I, I think that's 100% true I mean I think, <laughs> you know uh, and that, and, but that's also that's also why you know like Kendrick's even going through it in this mode he talks about oh, it sure. sometimes in interviews this is what this is why no name uh, you know the rapper is also publicly was like i'm out i don't make music anymore because too many white people show up at my shows and then after a while she was like no i gotta be me and i don't give a fuck so i'm gonna still make this music but just know 
just know the reason I took a two year, three year hiatus. So I could also like form a book club to take to prisons and like re-educate black people and do and do things so I could go harder. I need to take this money that I'm getting from you guys and do and do something mm-hmm. even more potent with it. Because what I'm doing right now, what my raps, what I hope my creative outlet was doing, it is doing what I needed to do, doing it for the complete incorrect audience. Yeah. And yeah. like she literally came up against the actual wall with that and was like, I can't, I can't go forward. Now, some people are luckily, you know, they're able to like see their way through that shit, work it out, get therapists, do whatever they got to do. You know, some people, and but some people are so exhausted of it that they actually just need to take themselves out of the yeah. equation. Right. Or you could become a, the, see the, but the problem with that wall even is that you can get to that point and then you can become a Chappelle because Chappelle hit that we very same wall. <laughs> Well, we were actually talking about this, you know, before you got on. Uh, and you know what? A lot of these people, I want a job eventually. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever. But I know, I know. I, when I say this stuff, I go, <laughs> mm, I almost said something about after we stop recording, there's somebody hey. I'll say something about that is specific that I really do think would uh, have consequences sure. for me if I said what I thought. So I won't. Fair, 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 and we ain't got to, and we ain't got to go there. The but, Chappelle, I think, is fine because he's so big that none of yeah. these people are ever going to hear this. Plot <laughs> so. Right, and I ain't got an agent yet, so hopefully, you know, they don't hear this and this, you know. <laughs> but we were talking about, um, you know, Chris Rock just had his recent live event about getting smacked in the mouth in front of a bunch of people, and he, like we said, we he had a year, he had a year to work this out. You know, work it out and then bring it to us. And what he brought to us was like the B minus version of that joke. You're Chris Rock. You are at the top of your game. You are the, you and Dave Chappelle are literally the top people in the game, right? And they both had opportunities where they flew too high to the sun, like Icarus, and the wings were burned off their back in front of everyone. I was yeah, gonna say the Icarus. Flew too high to the sun. Flew too close to the but sun. But we have protection, though. Says, the melanin you know, should. Uh... <laughs> That's why you get so, so close. <laughs> you, you still gotta break sunscreen, though. Okay? So, but they got too close to the sun. You know, Dave Chappelle with his show. You know, finding out like like no name and like Kendrick in these senses, you know, that, you know, that product was speaking to the wrong audience and had to go away. And uh, you got Chris who, you know, found out about himself in front of 15 million people and voluntarily went away for a year, a a calendar year too, because the Oscars were literally like the night before, you know? So both these people had the money and the opportunity to walk away and collect themselves and sadly with that money and with that selective outrage that chris rock was talking about in his special found that the people that he's truest to at the end of the day are the people that pay him that Chappelle, yep. the people he's most the people that matter most is netflix the people that pay him that money to get up on stage and say that shit. however what has Chappelle said in the four or five specials 
since that. Since, what hill has he chosen to die on? The trans the trans community, he's he's chosen to die on this hill for some silly stance that is like Well he just the he just doesn't want people to tell him what he can't say. What he so can't say. So it's not even it's say. it's Fair. moved even beyond the point originally and now it's just about I'm rich and I'm me. But so like shut the <laughs> fuck up because I'm gonna tell these jokes. Right, but that man also spent two specials and got, telling and, us that. And got two paid for two specials. separate specials. And he's like, this, these checks ain't stopping, even though I'm, I'm complaining about being canceled. But like... <laughs> it's this problem about you're getting used to the, something about Chappelle and, and Chris Rock to an extent now is um, you're, where they came from and where they are, like you're you got used to the sense of like speaking truth to power and these sources of where you have perceived power. The problem is, I think coming up pre-internet is, is something um, significant and having a certain understanding of society. And uh, then if you're somebody who is supposed to be analytical about society, but getting insulated from fame and from money uh, and also just becoming an older yep. person and you start to espouse certain ideas that have gotten ingrained that you haven't kept up with changing them and understanding them. So then you have all this power when your only problem is uh, people are mad at me and there's this thing I don't understand. That's what you're going to talk about. And you right. don't think about it in the sense of i'm perpetuating harm to a bunch of people you think about it in people are getting mad at the stuff i'm saying but you know people also got mad when i was like why people are being (laughs) crazy and i i think that that's the same i don't have a way to Mm. separate it because i don't have a clear view of the hierarchy of of oppression in this country beyond race maybe because now i'm a rich right. man as well <laughs> famous so i just don't know right. anymore but it, and, and and yes exactly that, exactly that and what we were speaking to earlier was that almost in the simplest sense their knives are duller their knives yeah. haven't been sharpened and with this money and with this platform now that they've built like 25 year old Chappelle would not react this way right 25-year-old Chappelle, I bet, would actually, like, sit down and listen to somebody for five minutes, maybe. Whereas, like, this dude is, like, you see that? You see that car? You see that house on top of my house back there? Right. Tell that, tell that house <laughs> to change his opinion. Eat my ass, right. stupid, and, like, well, keep it moving. Chris Rock will tell you the same. You don't have – it's impossible. These dudes have such big egos now. Yeah. Um, and it is impossible to grow and learn from a – place of ego your ego is the thing that gets in the way of you growing it's just what people it is because you think your growth growing implies that you are small and uh you don't have the humility to accept your smallness and if you don't do that because then you're like i'm so big so you can't right (laughs) and then you you cut off all the people around you who are going to tell you hey dude maybe don't yeah don't do that yeah I mean, that's, yeah, I was about to say, yeah. that's literally why we can't see Kanye West right now. Uh, well, <laughs> get it, get it back to the movie. And before we, before we move on, though, I do want to, <laughs> I do want to circle back to one thing, Skylar. Keep that in. 
Yeah, go ahead. I need three things from you. I need you to do yeah. a one-man show where you read that autobiography of Malcolm X with anointments from a white person. Nugget <laughs> <laughs> reads an autobiography of Malcolm X. <laughs> I need annotations from white people on a lot of books now. I'm so curious that raw, like, vulnerable... Because like, I think the thing about that is it's not just like errant thoughts. It's like earnest, like this is my book that nobody's going to read. So I'm going to write shit in here that like <laughs> other people are never going to see except for however this book got into your hands. <laughs> like it, but it's like, like just the questions that they would ask about certain things. Like is Calpurnia yeah. food good? Is it good? I just wanna, yeah. yeah. Like give me like a roots. Spices yeah. question mark. I just want to, yeah, I just want to read Roots with the white annotations and like, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kunta, Kunta, like A-O-O-N-ta. Yes. It is so vulnerable seeing somebody like, even within like biases or whatever, like however I want to make fun of it. It's just so vulnerable trying somebody like tr- seeing somebody try to understand and to learn, yeah. there is, it's a different thing between like. Because this, I think I can tell that it is from the perspective of not somebody who is, like, in the Malcolm X book. It's not from the perspective of somebody who is genuinely trying to understand, but somebody that had to complete the book and ask questions. Because of the biased nature of the way that she was going about it while still finishing Mm -hmm. the entire book, that's a good school. But, like... Yeah, those sort of earnest questions of like, how does that relate? That would be very interesting to see. Last thing I need of. you to do is switch your copy with LeBron's copy and see if he notices. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different one. I did wonder that. You know, I, I did wonder that. <laughs> never thought about that before. Um, but I mean, I thought about it, but I never thought about it. Well, I. One of the things I wanted to do is not necessarily get into the behind the scenes of the movie, but get into the behind the scenes of the book itself uh, and subsequent reactions to it, because it's interesting now. 2020, what a year. People had a whole reconciliation about race and started to think about other things that they hadn't really questioned before. And so (laughs) was that just to cut you off, was that... um... Even from where I'm from and knowing all the people that I know and growing up in the way that I did, even I, knowing these people and this perspective very well, was surprised by how many people, and maybe it's just because I moved out of Salt Lake and thought it was different elsewhere, but like how many people were coming to this reconciliation of being like, even the people starting to realize for the first time, like, it's not that. MLK is good and Malcolm X is bad. Like oh, that, yeah. that was sort of, I don't know. That was very mind blowing to me. How little, how people were even like learning, like what is white privilege? Cause it, it seems so basic, even from coming from yeah. where I was from. So I was oh, like, I, I would say the, the, the safe assumption that. is always to assume white people don't know anything. And then <laughs> move from there because I know that you, now. You would be yeah. surprised. I mean, the amount of white people who watched Watchmen were like, "The Tulsa race? What? That's not a real thing that happened." You would have, you would have <laughs> swore the town of Tulsa didn't exist until that moment. The way people were like, "And we're learning about Black Wall Street." 
I was actually, honestly, I was just freaking out that it was happening in like two yeah. major pieces of culture at the exact same time. I was on like, the same network. Like yeah, they were like just like, part. I guess, <laughs> on the same fucking network with the next show. We're also in Tulsa. This is so crazy. Oh my God. Tulsa's oh. crazy. Tulsa be crazy. You want to go yeah. back there again? You want to experience that again? Let's experience it. Uh, but in 2020, there was an article uh that was written by aaron haynes and it's titled the truce to kill a mockingbird tells about white people and there's a, a selection here that i want to read because it is there's there's a couple of things i don't want to get into a quote reading uh block here but there's there's a lot of interesting thoughts because i think the reckoning right like in the same way that white people are like wait the help that's a bad movie I, I shouldn't watch the help anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. I think to kill a mockingbird is not on the same level, but it is in the same vein of like, Oh, wait a minute. Like the light's starting to click on. So from the article, it says Atticus has come to represent more than just a white savior. He stood in an Alabama courthouse, not to block justice for a black man, but to fight for it. And in doing so, he wasn't just attempting to save Tom Robinson. In an alternate version, he would have been the hero. He was absolving the entire white race from the ills of racism. Atticus is the unimpeachable and quintessential example of what it means to be a good white person, inspiring young people across the country to become lawyers and enabling white Americans to point again and again to a fictional character as proof that not all actual white people are racist. It is a myth, a lie that America tells itself that perpetuates racism. At best, he was the least overtly racist person in a racist town. In reality, Atticus was an unwilling participant in the racial fight. He accepted the assignment not only to attempt to prevent a miscarriage of justice, but to maintain the racial order and make them. He was not a civil rights crusader. He attempted to save the life of one black person because he understood the implications of, for his own town if he did not. And when he lost, Maycomb's racial order was eventually restored. Right? And so <laughs> that's not like a person who read <laughs> like right that's literally exactly what I was saying it's like it's a, a, the ab absolving of yeah. doing it by being like oh look white, white people love white people love to not be racist like the 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 the, the, be the best thing a, a modern white person can feel is that they don't do racist shit I'm yeah. not a racist. I'm, well, I'm not, I would just, I could not, or or even in the other end of the spectrum where it's like, uh, I just, I get it. What the the father and get yeah. out. Yeah, your best your best shot is well. That, I mean, right? first of all, Cameron, the the term now I think is anti racist, right? So right, <laughs> correct terminology. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, sure, I didn't know I, I was an anti racist <laughs> until I thought I was. Black. <laughs> but it's also like white people love to take it too far right like the thing that mm -hmm. is always i i am fascinated by the white people who do shit like wash black people's feet in the middle of town or like there was one thing that i saw that i it could have been a photoshop because like camera was telling me the other day like this deep fake stuff has gone so far that i'm just like uh I, anything could be real, but anything could not, not be ready. real. But not there ready. was a picture I saw of like white people. I think, like I forget what the shirt said, but they definitely had chains on, and they were walking through like the middle of some town. And it's just like nobody's asking you to do that, and nobody wants you to do that. You know what I mean? Like if I want my feet washed, there are people who like one. 
I mean, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's crazy to go the people to ask people who don't wash their legs to wash your feet because it feels like (laughs) there's just a disconnect. You know what I mean? Never been down here before. Oh my god! But it's also like, what work is being done here? Right? Like white people love to feel bad. You know, like I feel like a lot of these movies are just kind of like that slap on the wrist of like, ooh. Remember that? Remember Ooh, the 60s? I, yo, <laughs> I think I was like 25 when I when I clocked it. I was like, yo, white people just love being right in this yeah. argument. Whether, just just knowing they're not racist. Like, oh my God, I, I, w- I was like, oh man, I know you feel good now. I know yeah. you feel good when you've been told you're a good white person. And when you've been told that, like, whatever you did, you've done right. Like, um... I don't know. You you paid twenty thousand dollars for a charter school to open up in a bad community, right? Oh, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it feel good? Right. But also, like, if you were at a Waffle House and like Brittany was having a bad day, Brittany, your black waitress, was having a bad day, and you accidentally called her a nigger, well, like, I know it doesn't make you a racist, but you well, Cameron, up for that. first of all, if they <laughs> called Brittany a nigger, they would be dead because I mean, Waffle House. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's <laughs> the handles. Not Waffle, Waffle House. Not the Waffle House. Waffle House. Yeah, I said that metaphor in the wrong place. I said that metaphor in the wrong place because Brittany definitely Waffle House staff them. is like people who who washed out of UFC and now they just like have to <laughs> go somewhere else. <laughs> um but <laughs> but I think yeah like there's there's a certain level of that in this book where like white people love to look at Atticus Finch as like their avatar of like this is like this is this is my ultimate form. You know what I mean? Like when I That's what civil <laughs> rights lawyers do. They avatar into Atticus Finch's body. When they reach Avatar State, they Atticus Finch. (laughs) They're just like, oh, oh, this black man didn't do anything wrong. Oh my god, it's so crazy coming out of my chest. Oh my god, this black man did nothing wrong. I'll say it again. Oh my god. Uh, Mm. um, From another article from 2020 from Electric Lit, uh, the the article is titled, White People Need to Reckon with Atticus Finch's Racism. Uh, there's a quote that says, "If Atticus is a champion, is a champion of anything, it's not justice or equality, but comfort. And white comfort is always going to be the enemy of black people in America. And I think that is also relevant in the sense of like, think about the end of the movie, right? Like, Tom yeah. gets killed, and we fast forward months, and it seems like things are good. Let nothing has changed." She, Scout is a ham. They're going to a like Halloween thing. You know what I mean? It's just like another day in Maycomb. Like this has not affected this town at all in any way. Actually, technically, technically, and and literally, what Scout says is we went on our longest journey, which means that it didn't even stay with Scout that Tom died that long. It stayed with him, stayed with Scout longer that Jem was hurt for a little bit. Yeah. You know, so it's like this is this is a thing that's been built up. Like the way that Jim was talking about, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in this town. You know, when they were going to the trial, right? A few months later, yep. it's like, who was that guy? 
You know, like what what happened? Well, t- <laughs> uh, Tim, Tim, Tim. You know, Tom, damn. Whatever that, happened to him? They forgot he got yeah. killed. Whatever happened to whatever dude? happened to him? He was so yeah. nice. Yeah. I, like I got a lot died. of shiffer ups that need to be. We as a <laughs> right. <laughs> I have so many shiffer ups now. <laughs> but it's like we never we never hear from any black person about anything. They, there's never any scenes where they get to not only talk but like what what happened to the black side of town after tom was killed he had convicted you know what right. I mean? you never it's check just, back in equilibrium is restored i mean that's like very much in line with the understanding that like uh i i understand now that Kwame Ture is is problematic in certain ways where he is anti-Semitic and a little bit fascist but I was reading his book Black Power and in it he was talking about how like the primary function of this is just true for capitalism the middle class and the white middle class is to keep this group of people even though not super rich just not Mm -hmm. poor enough that they are comfortable and when you have this middle class, it's truly just this is the buffer between the ultra rich people and everybody who's disenfranchised, which yep. there are a lot. And as long as you keep this group of people docile, comfortable and safe, now we can perpetuate racism and oppression. Now people can become absurdly rich and it seems fine because like, well, you know, this group that thinks that they're the largest group well we're not hurting and it's the the keystone or cornerstone keystones <laughs> whatever to uh social stratification it needs to be they need yeah. to be comfortable it needs order, to be a middle class or right I mean, that was class. the in order for them to be people who are like wait but i i don't understand i need to be educated about what what, what are the things that are going on that aren't right and it's so ingrained that they can with you know shit like to kill a mockingbird like just start to maybe comprehend a little bit of the problem and then go oh okay i think i get it now back to everything as it was which is like what the function Mm -hmm. of like these narratives are it never says like what now here's what needs to happen mm-hmm. is, is like, oh wasn't it sad when they killed this black guy i guess people are racist and then everyone's like wow people are racist i think i i guess i learned that people are racist and there was no discussion of what to do about that hey what what happened to all the black people how can we not hear from them why are we not uh deconstructing this system they didn't like try to integrate shit afterwards no. they didn't Nothing happened. And Atticus Finch didn't do anything. The greatest white man who ever lived. No. He didn't try to change anything. <laughs> that he was just like, okay, let's just next, <laughs> next case. They should, they should be calling him <laughs> Adequate Finch Ooh. because he did an adequate job. Got him. Bars, bars. Uh, well, <laughs> chopping up the shiver rope with Adequate Finch. All right, sorry. Um, I guess the last quote I want to read isn't from anything about. To Kill a Mockingbird in particular, but it is from our favorite, Mr. Jimmy Baldwin. Um, and it's just talking about history and the way that white people kind of use it as, like you were saying, a, a buffer or a way to kind of distance themselves. And so um, he says, people who imagine that history flatters them, as it does indeed since they wrote it, are impaled on their own history like a butterfly on a pin and become incapable of seeing or changing themselves or the world. 
This is the place in which it seems to me most white Americans find themselves impaled. They are dimly or vividly aware that the history they have fed themselves is mainly a lie, but they do not know how to release themselves from it, and they suffer enormously from the resulting personal incoherence. And I think that specifically speaks to this book and a lot of other things in the sense of like, when you're thinking about this book being taught in high school, right? It's typically being taught sans context, right? Like this is a book that's an important book that you should read that deals with topics of racism and all kinds of other, but like very rarely does that come with any contextual discussion saying, Hey, so 1930s Alabama, (laughs) this is what's going Mm -hmm. on, right? This is what it is like Mm -hmm. for people in general white and black right like this is what if we're coming off of the depression if we're uh you know coming off of you know or or building up to a second world war you know there's all these other like world events going on but in the micro of just like this is what it's like to be a black person in alabama at this time right so like consider what these roles are consider what people are doing have these conversations but if you just read the book and then just move on to the next assignment. And there's never really any kind of interrogation, specifically looking at it from a modern lens, right? Like it's not fair in one sense, because like you're saying, Scholar, it was written in the 60s. It's about the 30s. It's a book that, you know what I mean? As as well-written as anything can possibly be, things change, times change, things age, right? At the same time, though, like to look at this book and just accept it as not i mean it's fiction right so it's not fact but like to just say yeah right but as right. dogma ideological right. dogma right like I guess. this this <laughs> white woman in 1958 wrote this book and like from from since then <laughs> we have always looked back and like lifted this up as like the the one book about race in America that like stands the test of time even though it's written from not just a white perspective but like centers whiteness to such a degree that once the black character dies we don't hear from any black people <laughs> again right. like that's the end of yeah, they're the crux of the, the entire this situation. doesn't happen without tom right but at the same time like we really have to to keep the center and so like that general ignorance right of like I think if if we're if we're even talking about like actionable things, right? Like I don't like to talk to white people about stuff they can do because like I'm not Google or if there's so much information, you have a copy of how to be an anti-racist on your coffee table, crack that open, uh, finally get past the table of contents and like see what's going on in there. But also I think, when you talk about it, the way that I often position it is like, if you want to be an ally, cease to be white. Right. And that's just like such a big thing to unpack. Right. But it is like your, your whiteness, as we have read from these quotes, enables comfort, enables you to like live in a world where your privilege and other things it's not even about intentionality, right? It's just like you're moving through the world in such a way where you don't even have to consider anything, right? And like when you were talking earlier about white people being like, oh, 
all you guys do is talk about race. Like, I love that because, like, we don't. And we, right. we, we would prefer not to, but, like, it is in our best interest and for our safety and well-being to be informed and talk about it. You know what right. I mean? Like, if if it wasn't... I didn't... That's not something that I need... It's, it's not a thing that I need that uh you need to know so you don't right. think about it but like it's not something that i want to know but i, I need to it's a, i don't have a choice thing. you know what i mean it's just like if you think about it like <laughs> wouldn't it be great if if it wasn't necessary but like there's a reason that they needed the green book and it's because they couldn't go to places like make them right because <laughs> that's what i've been saying on stage lately too i've been like talking about like sort of this like reaction that i tend to get where it is is sometimes just like it's not too much but it, it is often this criticism of even like bringing up these things and i'm like well like you i i was adopted <laughs> by white parents i have white parents everybody in my adopted family was white i grew up in an all-white place it is so embedded into my the the bedrock of what my identity is whether or not i want it to be as it is for every black person that's dubois thing of double consciousness of being aware of being black and being a person it's like a completely different thing when you live in america that like yeah yeah i'm gonna talk about it if we're just talking about what my world is it yeah. is like i'm having to exist in the world's as a black person also speaking of like white savior narratives why do you think i got adopted <laughs> by white people in the first place that's why they did it because they had a, a, accepted things like to kill a mockingbird and stuff as centering whiteness as being the savior or the thing that ends racism yeah. <laughs> when really deconstructing whiteness itself is what right. does it and there's no like discussion of that except for very recently in these books that not even that many people read and they read one of them and then right. moved on well i think that's the thing white mm. people want to do too much that is the default they want to do the most and they want to fix it now and then not yeah. think about because it because it's because now they're they're hearing it they're hearing the cries right and if we cry too long you know bad things right. can happen in the meantime so we gotta we gotta nip it in the bud now even though they literally have like <laughs> zero zero idea and the funny thing is they keep trying the same shit mm. right because here we are uh down the line and i i know you're gonna bring this up soon but i kind of wanted to get to this part of the conversation because i think it's yeah. apt is the uh the new book oh, yeah so go set a watchman is the not sequel advertised initially as a sequel is actually the like original manuscript to to kill a mockingbird and basically is years set years later after the to kill a mockingbird story where now uh scout is an adult she lives in new york she's going back to visit atticus sub atticus is now part of the white citizens council and he's like got racist literature at his house and he's like all of a sudden starting to act and say things that, you know, seem very counter to the person that he was before. And like the idea of that book is more so along the lines of her trying to reconcile, you know, the man that she knew as a child to this person that he's become 
today, right? And like you see Atticus Fitch basically become like like he he got red pilled. <laughs> wow. Totally. Oh, no, I mean, look, I didn't read that book, but that seemed like I'm like I, I fucked with that take. <laughs> Right, because like the book decentralizes the whiteness of the situation. There's no more Tom Robinson, right? There, there's well, no there more, is a Tom. I mean, uh, it basically it does. It has a lot of the same stuff. Like there's like oh, so it's, it's like it's the same plot, more or less the same book, except that it takes place in what would be the president in 1950 something. Um, so there's a lot uh, of flashbacks uh, to when she's a girl and like the Tom Robinson case, but there's also, you know, a lot of present day, present day stuff where she's like trying to talk to him and he's just like, Scout, you don't understand, you know what I mean? These Negroes, <laughs> the way that they're acting, they're a lot of lip, you know, we gotta, we gotta make sure like in, in the way that they frame it, he's just kind of like, yeah, the NAACP is like coming in here and like, I want to make sure that they don't get too, uh, you know, too out of control. You know, they don't stir up too much trouble in my town. Yeah, you gotta control the blacks yeah. when they get there. But that, but that's like, I, I think that's a huge part of the problem is... And I bet, wait, but just looking at the Wikipedia page, very cursory, it seems like a lot of white people absolutely hated oh, the, it. And they lost their mind. They, they couldn't accept that Atticus Finch A, could possibly be racist in any way shape or form and be that like the idea of him turning, turning succumbing turning. to you know what i mean it's just like is this, is this our base instinct that we just kind of like fall into like he was supposed to be better than that even though again he's not real he's a fictional character but like they put so much of their identity and like desires in this fictional character that like even it's it's like when beyonce said nigger for the first time and they were like oh my god wait a minute make turn on the lights again see if the lights work make we sure can still work. listen to single ladies well, right I'm, I'm, is that <laughs> i uh i'm looking at this wikipedia page as well and it seems like that Atticus's stance is that blacks of the South aren't ready for full civil rights and that the Supreme Court's decision to give them these rights is unconstitutional and irresponsible. So that means that Atticus in this early book is defending, like we said earlier, just simply yep. the law. It's only going with the law as, as told to him and as he is told. Well, in a lot of these stories too, like you get this idea that this is a grand gesture being made between a white person and a black person. But in reality, it's a very micro uh, interaction between one white person and one black person. And like, doesn't mean anything in a larger context. Right. Because like, again, let me see Atticus Finch go to dinner at Tom Robinson's house. You know what I mean? Like, let me see Atticus Finch take Tom Robinson to the golf course and not have him be the caddy like let me see him like have any any social or like help tom robinson get a job or like and you know what i mean like all of this stuff is very circumstantial of like a white person and a black person have been put together at a particular space work uh you know like they marry into the family uh you know like something like that where it's like now we have to cohabitate somehow and oh look at that we're more alike than we ever who could have thought 
You know what I mean? When it's just like, yeah, but that never trickles out into like their interactions with other black people. It's like, you're the good one that I like. Don't know about those others. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> haven't haven't made right. my mind up right. about right. them yet. But like I was gonna bring my friend Jerome by. I don't know about Jerome. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. That about name sounds Jerome. aggressive. I I like Keith. I know Keith. I like Keith. I like Jerome? Keith. Keith lets me say whatever I want. I don't know about And so I think, yeah, when you look at this sequel, you know, it was very poorly received. One, because it was not a finished book. It was like a unpublished manuscript. So it was kind of like, as a book, maybe not great. But also the idea of Atticus Finch being like a low-key racist the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, it really... This was the death of Superman <laughs> issue. They were, they were like, yeah. what the fuck did you do? He was no. our greatest hero. What are you talking about? He had. You killed him? Yeah. You're crazy. Well, I think from there is a great place to transition uh, very quickly around to all the different reviews that this movie got when it came out. Because to be clear, this oh, movie no. was successful right like academy awards that year Fire. nominated for best picture best director best actor best supporting actors best screenplay best art direction best cinematography best music score art um, direction really? it won best screenplay it won best art direction and gregory peck won for best actor um i bet he did i bet he, he also did. won they were like yeah he, he won the golden globes yes. that year for oh, yes. best actor um, and they Sweet. won Best Original Score and Best Film Promoting in- International Understanding. I don't think that's a category anymore, but... But all that to say that it was very well received, although, um, little spoiler, but our boy Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times criticized the film for focusing yes. on less oh, on black man. people Ebert criticized the film for oh, having the white savior narrative. He said it expresses the liberal pieties of more innocent t- of a more innocent time, the early 1960s, and it goes very easy on the realities of small-town Alabama in the 1930s. One of the most dramatic Come scenes on, shows a lynch mob facing Atticus, who is all by himself on the jailhouse steps the night before Tom Robinson's trial. The mob is armed and prepared to break in and hang Robinson, but scouts burst onto the scene and recognizes a poor farmer who has she has befriended along with their father and shames him and all the other men into leaving her speech is a calculated strategic exercise masked as the innocent words of a child but one shot of her eyes shows she realizes exactly what she's doing could a child turn away a lynch mob at that time in that place it's isn't it nice to think so and so like you know not everybody was taking it in but skylar starting with imdb out of 10, what do you think To Kill a Mockingbird currently has? I think it's got probably a 9.8 <laughs> or something. <laughs> I bet it does. Cameron, what do you think? Um, I'm going to say 8.9. 8.3. So not wow. quite as high. 8.3. 8.3 is still high. Uh, for all. You know Endgame got like a fucking 9 on this thing. <laughs> Endgame got like a 9.8. And they're like, to kill a mockingbird, it's good, but, but, but they don't have the greatest hero of American cinema of the late <laughs> the twentieth century. Uh yeah, I mean if you look at all the reviews, it's the typical this is the most important film. Uh, you know, like one of the, the foundational things of my, you know, childhood, yada yada, etc. So there's definitely those vibes. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes out of a hundred percent, uh and we could do both both critic and audience score what do you think 
to Hello Mockingbird currently has? Um, I'm going to adjust because it was slightly lower than I thought for the out of 10 stars, but I am going to say out of 100%, 80 on on audience. I think audience is going to like it less. So I'm going to put it at like even down to a, a, a 79. That might be crazy. And okay. then critical, I'm going to put that up to an 86 okay cameron i'm gonna say critics Uh, i'm gonna say (laughs) because this is tough right because like again greatest movie ever made most important movie ever Mm -hmm. But there are people who are, you know, there's just critics of everything. And uh, I'm going to say the critics are like 88%. But I'm going to say the audience, honestly, is like, is is more. And I'm going to say the audience is like 92. But it's close. 93% for both. Wow. Wow. So out of 68 reviews for critics and out of more than a hundred thousand reviews for the audience. Yeah. It's got ninety three percent. Wow. Uh, although again, yeah. shout out to our boy Roger Ebert who gave it a two point five out of four. <laughs> That's what I'm saying though. Because didn't like, have time got, for that. They out here. They out here. <laughs> uh, he is married to a. He was married to a black woman. He wasn't with the shits. <laughs> uh, going lastly to our absolute favorite, Amazon.com. Oh my god. <laughs> what do you think To Kill a Mockingbird has out of five stars? Four. Cameron six stars <laughs> 4.8 out of five five 91 percent five star ratings mm. um Come you on. know they're they're people people are like yo I didn't just get the regular edition I got the super box set legacy two disc dvd edition with all the other you know what I mean so it's just like people can't say enough about this movie um yeah and I think it's it's one of those that just is going to endure yes. without much pushback like if you told anybody i thought that was kind of mid you know like to a white person of a specific age yeah exactly. that's like that's fighting words what um, yep, so- yep. <laughs> <laughs> listen uh, here buddy <laughs> but now we have to rank it on our caucasity ranking scale so we have three levels of caucasity for east skylar um starting with shorts in the winter now <laughs> being <at> from <laughs> utah and also now in chicago this is a phenomenon that I'm sure is not just like very present for you, but also I I have to imagine like the apex, right? Of just yeah, like the, yeah, bruh. the zenith of winter shorts for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like how how like like physically how can you be outside right now at all? But also in shorts, right? Like it is negative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, they but that's where this is just a curiosity right like no offense or harm has been done but we are just kind of curious why did you make this decision do you own actual pants or do you only own shorts like is, there's got to be some rational explanation for why you did this but it's not doing any actual harm to us camera what's the second level the uh, second level of caucasity is this movie is touching my hair so now this movie is it's into your space. 
probably didn't ask no questions. Probably was like, hey, what's up? Oh, your hair looks so awesome. Let me touch it. It was like, whoa, hey, you know, not at, not. They didn't say, can I like <laughs> cut you up? Can I cut up that shifero? Uh, shifero, <laughs> but definitely in your space now, and definitely like causing unintentional harm. They would hope to think, but still causing harm nonetheless. And the third level differs from week to week, but it's, it sounds like we've got a couple. I got, so a, I'll, I got I'll, a couple. I'll, you got a couple as well. I'll, I'll go. I'll go quickly. First, I am a logic agnostic. I don't listen to his music. Wow, I didn't know you were going here, but yes. But I, yep. I, I'm aware of him. He, I'm from Maryland. He's from Maryland. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's a lot yep. of like the whole biracial thing. I wrote off as just like a joke because like, haha, funny, right? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> he is his white side is is just like wow. It's, it's 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 almost like it's like venom. It's like the symbiote is like. <laughs> Taking over <laughs> more and more as he goes along. Yeah. Because recently, yeah. in a two for one, he did a cover of Ice Cube Good Day as like an acoustic, almost like it was like the Why is it like acoustic? a white girl. Well, this is the thing about mixed people, right? With this is gonna <laughs> say. <laughs> but this go on. Like, no, no, listen to me. <laughs> Like what you're saying, when you give uh, mixed people money, that's like um, throwing gasoline on the fire of the whiteness. It makes it flare up. So that money and that fame, it makes his white side flare up even more. So something's going on there because yeah, he did like a like a jazzy acoustic version of it where he was he he sang it. He didn't rap it. No, uh, no, no, and. Uh, said said nigger in such a way that black oh, yeah. people were like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Every time Say that again. Okay. Right. He's testing us. He's you like, been, you've been downgraded <laughs> or upgraded to Octoroon at this point. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> oh Logic God. is somebody who I feel like says nigger in the mirror. Hell yeah. <laughs> to Hell, practice oh, before no, he goes it's, out. It's like Black Swan is written on the. <laughs> But that wasn't enough because there was an interview that he did recently with, and I'll I'll see if I can find it um, as we go along here. But he was talking with a a very clearly white man on the podcast. This man <sighs> says he's mixed. I don't know, you know. I know what you're talking about. He's talking to Theo. Uh, what's his name? Dude was oh, on Theo Vaughn. Theo Vaughn, Road Rules, turned into wrestler. Yeah, and and he was like, "Hey, you know, like, aren't you mixed?" And Theo's kind of like, "What? You know, I mean, like, you know, whatever. I'm not really, you know." But Logic is like, "No, no, 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 no. Like, like, if you're like, embrace that. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you're one of us. Like, join the, but like, not one of us. Like, mixed, but like, you're black. You're black." It's cool now. You're good. Dude, I'm telling. I one I'm drop. one drop, dude. I'm telling you, you're black. <laughs> I've seen this interview on my TikTok like at least five times this week, and each time it makes me angry. Just, just deeply angry. Because he's so he is like the he's moment like, I've waited for my whole life. <laughs> I'm gonna say it, and I'm gonna mm, I'm gonna dance, and it's gonna rain on my face, and I'm gonna feel so great. I'm gonna say it. 
you should say it too and it was just like oh my god stop talking so there's that and then very quickly (laughs) uh espn commentator and former nfl quarterback dan orlowski had the temerity to tweet how often do you guys wash your towels i've been using the same one for 30 days should i wash it no what dog Sir. So that's where white hygiene is at at the moment. No, Cameron, did no. you oh my anything? god, that is dirt. 30 Beat days? that. I was confused. Should I wash it? That, should I that's wash the key it? Word. I'm, just, I? I'm just asking. Uh, Why would you, know. you? Oh man, you gotta. Why would you confess people. that in public? You gotta have people. There are so many people that just say and confess these things that it's like, hey, do you maybe want to? I don't know how this because my anxious brain i go okay i'm like maybe gonna say like a joke or something to people publicly but there is this every time i go is this something that i want to say out loud to people because if i do (laughs) are they gonna be is it it the joke that i'm saying this out loud and and people are gonna react or are people just gonna react and be like i can't believe you would say that out loud i don't know how people don't have that but a lot of people don't Hmm. Uh, I got I got two. Uh, the first being, you know, this week, this past week was the 95th Academy Awards ceremony, and our first award up for the night was Best Supporting Actress. Uh, key category for, you know, Marvel watches because Marvel got their first acting nomination from who? Angela Goddamn Bassett, the legend giving that speech in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, literally winning it, or at least being nominated for that very speech. Really the only good part of that movie, in my opinion. It's fair, it's fair, it's fair. fair. We're not going going to do that here. We can do it, (laughs) but we're not going to do it here on the record, okay? We talk later. But uh, Angela Bassett, you know, nominated for an incredible performance, by the way. That that speech is that Mm -hmm. speech. It is that speech. Uh, Also nominated in this category... Uh, fame Nepo baby, Jamie Oof. Lee Curtis. It's okay. It's okay. She, Oof, she's cool. we we like Jamie Lee Curtis and we have for a long time. However, she was However. nominated for an Academy Award for playing uh, what a tax a tax a tax collector a tax collector. She's not even the fourth best part of everything everywhere all at once. But she went on to win the award. It is canon now that Jamie Lee Curtis has played the better performance over Angela Bassett, which, we, I mean, we all have eyes this year, and we all saw yeah. both these movies, and we all know that a, <laughs> a woman a woman was robbed that night, and we don't we don't know who it was, but, but we know who it was. Also, also, in Caucasity this week, uh, I don't know if you know that the banks are woke, but they're woke. Oh, yeah, they super yeah. woke, dog. Your boy, Ron DeSantis, who is just somehow still not sure that he wants to run for president in 2024, uh, is coming back at the Trump campaign uh, by saying, you know, recently this week, the two banks defaulted on their loans, but were able to get a bailout from the bank. Meanwhile, your boy Jerome in Towson defaulted on his law last week, and now he is homeless. But the banks were bailed out, and Ron DeSantis just couldn't wait to talk about it, couldn't wait to get his lips all over this issue, and he took his lips to Twitter to say that the banks are now woke 
because they were uh, bailed out by the federal government. I don't know if you could if you knew that the banks were woke. But yeah, no, they love they love giving yeah, money away. No, sure, the, the banks. Yeah, yeah, the banks. I will where say, you can't get a loan, where you can't even if you ask for anything from the bank as a black person, they have a special sign for you that says "Don't even, don't even try it, don't even please, try it." You need to sign that check. Bring your own pen. <laughs> we the pen, the pen is chained to the counter because right. we don't trust you. And it, <laughs> they tell you they, the, the, pe- the pens, even the pens have nothing to lose with their chains. Even the pens. <laughs> That's why we snatched the chains out the bank. We need the reparations in any yeah. way form possible. Mm-hmm. But yes, I the will banks say, are woke. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has an Oscar. I will say, as much as it pains me, and as much as I hate that man, Donald Trump, the, the tweets are incoherent, right? But like sure. when he hit something, like Meatball Ron is like, that's good. It's good that's that's solid. You know what I mean? You're just like, I hate to give it to you, but like, damn, dog. Like, I don't think I could have come up with a better. Not it though. Joe, <laughs> Joe Biden, if he gets reelected, he still will be Sleepy Joe for you. Sleepy years Joe, now. but like, Sleepy Joe's not even like Sleepy Joe's like the B material. You, you got to like... do like two more steps to like get to. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he finished that. Uh, when he, he came just kinda... up with when he hit him when when he hit Ron with Ron de Sanctimonious, I'm like, somebody's helping you. Yeah, no. coming up with that's stuff. Not, he's not writers. He's that's not you, Don. Because that's too. That's too much. You meatball Ron is meatball you. Meatball Ron. Right. Him out of pronouncing <laughs> everything it was, it was brilliant. But yeah, meatball Ron is uh, it's good. That's good stuff. That's yeah, good stuff. Uh, well, we hit you with a lot there, but Skyler, out of those three levels, what do you think? To, to kill, kill a mockingbird is. Out of those three levels, well, because I think there is like we were talking about with levels to whiteness. I actually don't know this rating system. I don't fully get it <laughs> because we we talk about these levels to whiteness and then there's like, it if it's directly, because I think caucasity is, might be different than its relation to harm, me overthinking this out loud. Yeah. But, I I do want to put this at max caucasity, but sure. I, I also don't know if this is like max harm caucasity, like with darkness, but like but it, it does feel like this uh level of feeling like it's better. You think it's it's better, but in ways it's actually worse. So I'm gonna yeah. come up with my own caucasity category. And I'm going to say that that level of caucasity is replacing dark skin Aunt Viv with lighter skin Aunt Viv. Mm. That that is the caucasity level. Okay. That To Kill a Mockingbird is at. Let's let, well, let's let's hear the let's yeah, hear the walk, reasoning. Walk me through this. Because it is it we we think of the Fresh Prince, and we we have that show, but as we know with all of these black shows and shows in the 90s they're run by white writers and white producers and people who are decision makers on shows like that some of them will be black but a lot of them will be white mm-hmm. and so the idea is that i think 
it the show was on i want to say season three or four where they replaced her or maybe it was like season i think five. it was four four yeah. okay uh that the idea is oh this is like progress and this is better but all you did was sort of make this more acceptable for white people Mm. and because that that's as far as i thought about it so that's why i think it's that level (laughs) the the old bait and switch yeah yeah Yeah, exactly Uh. it's the old you know oh it's still it's great but then it's also like mm, it's a little bit it's for it's like whites it's like uh it's like uh when they had diet coke but then they also had like coke zero it's like it's the it's the same thing you want but it's it's just different yeah it's it's, it's really what i want (laughs) Cameron, what do you think it's, it, 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 you know what, Skylar? I will say it's a curious case, right? Mm-hmm. Because. But again, let me qualify. I don't fully get the system. So. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair, fair. You're actually the first to not understand the system and also the first to create your own system. <laughs> it just so. seemed like we were making not random comparisons, but it didn't seem hierarchical. It felt um whatever the difference is, relational. <laughs> Instead hear of that. levels, yeah. Hear that. Hear that. I overthink uh, things. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is this is why this podcast is here. <laughs> um, but I, 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 this this does still prove to be a curious case, right? Because To Kill a Mockingbird is it, it's it's almost like Macklemore for white rap heads. You know what I mean? Like those white boys who are going to tell you, have you ever listened to Most Deaf and Talib Kweli or Black Star? But then mm-hmm. they also say Most Deaf and Talib Kweli. Tal- yeah, Talib. And, and then you're like, <laughs> okay, well, obviously you've heard redefinition, but you obviously don't know the man's name, right? I've never, I've never heard somebody <laughs> say it out loud, even though he says it on all of his songs. <laughs> it literally, <laughs> right? So, but this is what To Kill a Mockingbird feels like. It feels like like trying. To put me on, <laughs> right? Yeah. But nigga, I know the music. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to tell you about, you know, I'm going to tell you about Close Edge. I'm going to tell you about right. Get By. I'm not. You're not going to tell me about Black Star, <laughs> right? So that's what To Kill a Mockingbird ultimately feels like, mm. and even worse for Black people because we, I mean, to use the metaphor for the movie. We're just the black people who are sitting in the mezzanine. We just like, damn, there goes Tom. Right. So, Tom was dope. You know, he salute. Me, he salute, salute a kid. He <laughs> taught me how to shop up a shipper roll. But guess what? Right. I'm not Obi One hand. My life. One hand. I watched him do the whole shipper roll by himself. However, however, at the same time, I feel like the nation doesn't move forward, sadly, with like without shit like this. Yeah. I'm not saying I need a fucking. Till movie every year. I'm not saying I. I don't even need to. Very that. much don't need one at all, bro, bro. Unless he, unless he's like impervious. Unless he's super, you know, it, where it's a situation where what it's, if it's the superhero revenge film type uh, shit, to, and he just comes uh, in just wrecking shit. Yeah, what, what if that terrible? <laughs> uh, oh yeah. What what if he comes in? And he's like, 
that man looked at that white woman and and Matilda's like, God damn right. And then laser beam. <laughs> and then just, just and the movie's 15 minutes long and it's over. Over. Like, coming to theaters this summer. Oh my God. He's looking at that white woman. We're gonna go kill that nigga. And he's like, you wanna kill what? Zap, 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 zap. Yeah. Movie over, right? That's that's what that's what I want to see, right? But instead, they think I need to see this trauma happen again. And they think I need to hear Tom Robinson go through all this hell before he was mistakenly shot and murdered. They thought they were reaching for the taser, Cameron. But they they thought they were reaching for the taser. <laughs> Literally, they felt the much lighter taser in their hand. Mm-hmm. You know? But before the body cams even existed, they was like body cams off. The fact that they're in this middle ground area where like people are like, oh, switch on the body cam. Like, oh, fuck, I forgot. Like that goes to show. Right. And that's the same thing with this movie is like, oh, we got to turn the body cam on. We got to show everybody that some asshole existed in here. Right. So and for that, for that, I don't think it's peak caucasity. Because this is sadly the work, you know? Yeah. And it's a good version of the work because me and Jordan have sadly watched many bad versions of the work. Yeah. Many bad uh, versions of it. I would say, like, I I, I want to give it logic. Uh, <laughs> it seems like do, in the do system, it, if doing the system right, it seems like that's what it should be. <laughs> right. Well, because I feel like the thing about it, in terms of if you're talking about harm or danger, is that it. I think I feel like it has lulled white people into a sense of like, oh yeah, like I I read that, and now I have an understanding of anything. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of like, what did you? I would love to know white people's general takeaways. And if the general takeaway is racism is bad, why did you need to read To Kill a Mockingbird to come to that? To know that. Uh, But also, (laughs) in terms of, like, its place within the literary canon and as a film, like, I would say, if you could, just take that out and just replace it with Invisible Man, because I think that will give you more. There you go as a student and as just a general person to read that it's one of the most profound books on race, but also is a book that actually gets into what it is, you know, yeah. like what's actually happening instead of this is a thing like, you know, cause to Kelly Mockingbird reads like an anecdote, <laughs> right. That yeah. like somebody's telling you about, Hey, you know, so this one summer when I was like seven, like this, this, this yeah. is crazy. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, but also, <laughs> like, I don't think you took the requisite lesson away from whatever the story is you're telling me. Like, this kind of feels like you're somewhere in Africa and not, like, an actual, like, moral lesson. And I and I think a lot of people come at To Kill a Mockingbird, the film and the book, in that way of just like, oh, okay, like, this is, this is another check mark on my good white person list that I can say that I've read or watched this film and then I can talk to people about it mm, and I'd then have a conversation and hopefully you that know but that's the problem is like we start having the conversation and then I'll bring up you know like actual historical events and you'll say I've never heard of that right and then I'll say 
I can't talk to you because there's all this contextual things in and around this fictional book that you read that you don't understand, you know, like what that means. And so I think it's it's almost like the training wheels, mm-hmm. right? But they just don't want to take those off. Yeah. And so like <laughs> this is very like, much that. Yeah. Um and so I think the the harm that it's doing is is more so in that like people it's the people view it as a stopping point instead of like an actual like oh yes this is this is like the inflection point this is the tipping point where I do work mm-hmm. know, after mm-hmm. having read this instead of like ooh you know I I feel a little bad because you know like my uncle is like Robert Ely Yule and like, you know, I I wish that he wasn't, but I'm like Atticus Finch, so you know, like gold star for me, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think overall, as a movie, as a movie, I would also say fine. It's all right. <laughs> Not the greatest movie I've ever seen in my We're life. Talking about just in terms of like movie, like what I want to watch cinematically. It's like I understand how it would be considered good acting and good directing, but also it's a movie from back in the time and yeah. The, the way the dialogue goes and the way the plot unfolds is very just like I'm Cut the first 40 minutes stuff. Well, <laughs> Skylar, that's going to do it for us this week. We really appreciate you coming on. This is Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. I need, you know, to talk <laughs> this stuff all the time <laughs> i mean this is this we're the outlet for that so definitely definitely happy to have you on tell everybody what you got going on uh where people can see you coming up um and anything else people should know where they can find you on the internet yeah well you can find me on the internet uh twitter skylar underscore higley instagram skylar higley um i am going to be depending on when this comes out uh milwaukee this weekend which is the 17th and 18th if it's past then then i will be in salt lake city march 31st so if you're in salt lake and you like the type of shit that i do uh <laughs> not a huge venn diagram uh, <laughs> but i'm from there so i'll go back uh come out to a show i have an album on spotify called Saltwater. it's a mix of comedy and music and it's very interesting so i said that like trump very interesting <laughs> um, so listen to it and it's worthwhile <laughs> um camera tell everybody where they can find you at uh go check out my friend skyler's his comedy album full of music i don't i haven't listened to it if you, have, if sure you consider it a mixtape if you want check out yeah. my mixtapes he says it's a mixtape. The last time I bought a mixtape, I got my car washed at the exact same time. All my friend, all my black friends, yeah. mixtapes and car washes, they're they're great people. They're, check out the blacks. Check out the blacks. This is the, you're varied into like Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which what? I think there's probably some overlap. So yeah, I think <laughs> overlap, you know, Cosby would have done a jazz album with Herbie Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> he actually would have <laughs> um uh well you can check me out on twitter and ig at the blipster 1138 i got foolishness there i got some cool stuff that i can't talk about but Dope. i'm we, we're doing cool stuff and uh cool stuff getting done 
So until then, um, just check me out on Twitter and hey, DM a nigga. I might respond. All right. I'm asking for trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRSosa18. Comic stuff is happening. Uh, this is probably going to be passed at this point, but Red Sonia, Hell Sonia comes out March 22nd. Um, I got my copy. DC, I got my copy. That's right. The DC awesome. Power Anthology has also had the second printing, so you can get that. And then the Milestone Comics Talent Showcase is coming out May 30th. Uh, so go ahead and, and keep a lookout for Ooh. that. Other comic stuff is happening, and, I, and I'll tell you when I could talk about it. Uh, but if you want to reach out to us, you can find us at white underscore pod on Twitter. You can also reach us at white people and save you pod at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with more Calcacity. Peace. 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 All right. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.